This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by The Wisdom of Hobbits, by me, Matthew J. DiStefano. In this hopeful yet at times poignant homage, I focus on everyone's favorite halfling friend, the Hobbit. A charming people, this Shire-based race has captivated, enthralled, and enchanted the hearts and minds of millions. And though they're not a religious society, I argue that spiritual truths, love, kindness, generosity, hope, and even compassion can be found within their familiar yet still relevant and didactic tales. So come and enter a world of adventure and intrigue. Whether it's your first foray into Middle-earth or the Shire is your second home, allow me to inspire you toward discovering your own inner hobbit. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your fine, fine books from Choir Publishing. Hey, this is Lacey Bean, co-host of Deadly Faith Podcast and social media influencer. But anyways, blah, blah, blah. Shut up, sit down, and listen to Second Cup with Keith. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles, and I'm here with my very good friend, Angie Von Slaughter. She is a very uh, creative person, fascinating person, um, and I know you're going to enjoy hearing her story. Uh, Angie, welcome to Second Cup with Keith. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, this is great. So it's really fun because we we talk when we're not recording <laughs> and uh, <laughs> have some great conversations along those lines. So it's really great to have you on and uh, kind of share some of those conversations with everybody else. Um, give people a little bit of background if they're not familiar with you, you know, kind of like who you are. Um, like I'll just say I discovered you, I think, several years ago. And at that time, you were pastoring a church, I think, in Phoenix. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. a kind of a, a very progressive church. Um, and I, I, I guess I just found you on Facebook or something and, and, uh, mm-hmm. watched some of your messages and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, mm. so that's how I found you, but yeah, give us a little bit of background of yourself and, um, you know, how you got here. Yeah. Well, you're talking about something that's so interesting because it is true. The people that are friends with me on Facebook may have found me at any season of my life. I could have been a pastor. I could have been in a band. I could have been an artist. (laughs) Who knows what I was doing at that time? Um, But there's usually a common thread for me. And I've noticed that often that there's, there's usually a common theme. It's usually themes of spirituality, themes of uh, hope and living a better life, themes of inspiration, creativity, communication. And so what I what I was doing at the time when you followed me, I was a progressive pastor at a church um, that, quite frankly, kind of fell in my lap. I wasn't expecting this role at all. I had left church, uh, honestly, left church in the dust, in my opinion, at the time. <laughs> And, and it was for, uh, you know, it was for the obvious reasons. I was hurt. I was, I was burnt out from church. And it was for the reasons you usually hear people leave church. I had uh, recently come out as gay at the time. And there wasn't a place for me in, in the church, yeah. uh, at least not the churches I grew up in. Yeah. There was no longer a place for me at the table. Yeah. And I found myself thinking, well, if, if this is if this is church and if this is God, I, I think maybe I don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. So let's let's move along. And I left church 
Uh, and I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions about my faith and it kind of all began to unravel, which yeah. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a bit, but it, it was, many people probably understand this feeling that it's like a sweater and you pull the thread and before you know it, you, ha you just have a ball of yarn. <laughs> right, <left>. right. <laughs> it's like, how do I, I'm trying to make sense of it. And instead what's left is like no, nothing there, there. It's, it's just almost, um, chaos. Yeah. Which I, not to get, you know, too, too ahead of myself, but I think is a really, ends up being a beautiful uh, springboard for something new. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but in the time you can't see it, it just feels engulfing and yeah. overwhelming. So from there, I, we moved to Phoenix from Northern. Uh, so my wife and I, we moved from Phoenix uh, to, sorry, we moved to Phoenix from Northern Arizona and it was this time that I started to almost crave a church community and I didn't know how to articulate it. It was like, I, it makes no sense because it almost sounds like an abused relationship. Why would you want to go back to the thing that hurt you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, well, the one thing that church knows how to do well, when they do it well, is communal belonging, yeah. is support and love and a place to, if you're a person that has creativity, a place to plug in your talents, a place to all of those things. And so I started to kind of miss that. And, uh, I, I told my wife, I said, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I think I want to look for a faith community. <laughs> and we did. And the rest kind of became history. We found a, a, an affirming church that really loved and supported my wife. And it wasn't just lip service. It was absolute love and support mm. like I've never seen. Wow. And, and this became a place where we flourished, a place where we began to deconstruct our faith even further, and a place where I became an assistant pastor and then eventually a lead pastor. And I didn't expect any of that yeah. in my plan. Um, but my deconstruction didn't just end there. I thought it would end there. And then as I became a pastor, the deconstruction just went further and further. Yeah. And, further. Yeah. and I'm no longer a pastor. And it's not necessarily because I deconstructed, actually. I, I planned to start, and I did at the time, I transitioned our church to an interfaith community. Mm -hmm. uh, because I deconstructed so much out of what I knew Christianity to be, I wanted to hold a bigger conversation yeah. about what we're all experiencing. Yeah. But COVID, you know, my health, I had some health issues that and COVID kind of came in and had different plans for what we were doing, but I still really hold that, uh, like interspiritual heart very much. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, we've taught you and I've talked about, um, privately some of that stuff. Um, so I, I think, you know, a lot of people listening have have either already gone through a lot of their deconstruction process or maybe they're in the middle of it. Um, I've been pretty uh, honest lately in the last several episodes about the fact that I'm, I, like you're saying, I've, I've deconstructed, but now I feel like I'm continuing to deconstruct. I'm calling it a second deconstruction. I don't know mm -hmm. what else to call it, um, but that's what it mm -hmm. feels like to me. It feels like, you know, um, you know, because when you go through the deconstruction, you know, initially there is the, it's like that wave, right? The, there's that initial part. It's really painful and scary. You don't know where you're going. You feel like you're walking in the darkness. You know, you're just taking one step after the next and you're pulling the thread and the questions keep coming and you feel all alone. You feel isolated, right? Eventually you find a few other people. Maybe you find a few other writers, authors, thinkers, speakers who are a little farther ahead of you and they're kind of helping you guide, you know, guide you along a little bit. So that makes you feel a little bit better. 
Um, and mm -hmm. then, you know, you kind of, what I did, I kind of like answered for myself, all those major questions that I had about the, the bigger, what I call the pillars of the faith, uh, wrote a seven part book series, right. As I did that. Um, <laughs> but then having done all that, it was then I reached this point of kind of like, okay, but now what? So like what happens next? And I think that's where the second deconstruction began, where I feel like once again, I'm in this place where I'm asking these questions. It's creating some uncertainty, um, not as much, but a little, its own measure of uncertainty. And um, I'm also kind of like scrambling to find anybody else who knows what this feels like and what's next and where is this going? Uh, and you were one of those people that initially I uh, connected with that was like, oh, okay, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that sort of that second deconstruction for you? And I, I think if I'm right, um, some of that began while you were a lead pastor of this church, right? Mm -hmm. That is, yes, <laughs> very yeah. much so. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, first, Keith, you're talking about, you're talking about a lot, which I think is what we innately desire as humans, mm -hmm. right? We, we long to be loved. We long to belong. Yes. And in many ways, what you're explaining is almost like this desire for, for mirroring, emotional mirroring, yeah. intellectual understanding. Is there anyone that knows what I'm going through? Yes. <laughs> and that's really normal, right? Well, and so I, I think that is so, so normal for many of us to say, is it, hey, is there anybody else that knows what this feels like? And we've all done it. Um, so for myself, I was doing this second deconstruction uh, you know, and I, I don't even know what I call any of this anymore because I'm realizing we're probably always upending the thing and yeah. rediscovering something new yeah. and upending that. And that's part of growth. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you realize like I, there's not a, a point of arrival. We're just evolving. Yes. And I, I think the easy, it, it becomes easier the more we can slowly sink into there is no point of arrival. It's just a slow becoming. Yes. It's the journey. <laughs> that, it's very much the journey. I always, I always expressed it as, um, you know, like don't let the cement dry on the things that you believe, right? It's like that constant, mm -hmm. and it's so hard to do for many of us because I think evangelical Christianity has programmed us and trained us and conditioned us to find safety and security and certainty in having all yes. the answers so it's it's a very yes. terrifying thing sometimes when somebody says something like um hold loosely to the things you believe you're not your identity is not your belief um you know embrace this mystery of the divine uh, that it isn't about having the answers yes. it is more about that experience of the divine which may not be something you can explain or map out but it's certainly something you can experience it you can feel it um so, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I think that's exact for me anyway, that's exactly what it has been is, is learning to relax into the not knowing. I don't have to have the answers. I don't have to have it figured out. There is no end point. You know, uh, that scares people. I know it really it terrifies does. people. I've, I've seen the terror in people's eyes when they'll tell me in the beginning of their deconstruction process, like, especially when it's really the most painful part, you know, at the beginning, when does this end? Right. Cause you just feel like it, mm -hmm. it's out of control and you're being pulled into this direction and it's, and it's mm -hmm. painful. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. And you just want to no, know when it right. stops, right? When, what you mean is when does the pain stop, <laughs> right? When does the pain stop? But when you yeah. say to them, never, it never ends. What I mean is what doesn't end is the questioning, is the constantly yes. 
you know, letting go of things that don't fit anymore, that don't make sense anymore and being open to the next thing. Right. Well, it's true. And, you know, it also depends on your personality. There, there are some folks that thrive. Like I love questions, but also I love to understand, right? I love questions because I'm curious, but I also love questions because I'm trying to understand something. And I think there are some folks that, that even having their faith upended, uh, is sheer terror yeah. and others it's freedom yeah. and others probably don't care. And so there's a level of, it's also very deeply personal how yes. we handle this process. But, but for myself, this, to go back to what your question was, the, the second deconstruction for me, uh, was really at this point centered around Jesus Everything else, I was fine uh, really calling myself a progressive Christian. I hung my hat on that and was like, yep, I think I've I've comfortably found the thing. Yes. <laughs> and then I really started to to dive into Stan Mitchell, uh, Pastor Stan Mitchell, if you have followed his work. He, he had thrown out something about the four views of Jesus. And then it was, uh, there's a few different people that have studied different views of Jesus. And this is something that really sparked my interest. And it was ways of looking at Jesus from a uh, human lens, a uh, historical lens, mythical lens, and like hero Jesus. Yeah. You know, and we were taught, most of us in evangelical were taught hero Jesus. And and Jesus is the one that saves. He comes down and it's like touchdown. Here he is. Yeah. He's the guy to save the day. But then there's many people that don't believe in Jesus, but they believe um, that at least he's a historical figure. There's right. many, many people that believe that. Then there are uh, some that believe that Jesus is like mythical. And this was the part that really resonated with me was, wait a minute, what if, and and myth as in something so true, it can only be told in a story. Right. And that resonated with me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I don't know that I believe in this story that Jesus is uh, the savior of my soul. I, I, I don't resonate with that anymore. And yet there's deep power and wisdom in Jesus's story. Yeah. And it's inviting me in. And what does it mean for me? And so I started to wrestle with this very privately because as a pastor, you know, even of a, uh, as a a progressive pastor, you still don't know how far is too far before they start throwing the stones at you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> before you've worked your way out of your own belonging. Yes. And that's what I thought. I thought, I I am a known rebel by nature and not because I want to start shit. It's just because I'm curious yeah. and it gets me into, my, my questions get me into trouble yep. and here I am. I'm le- and I also felt sort of like a hypocrite. I'm leading these people, caring for these people. I myself don't know where I'm going. Yeah. And what what do I feel about that? And so I kept thinking about this verse in First John um, that talked about you have no need for a teacher; that you have all that you have within you. Yes. You have the right. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have no need for a teacher. And I thought, oh my God. This is wild. How have I missed this gem hidden in plain sight? Yes, I never heard any us. sermons about the first that, that verse in First John when I was a Southern Baptist, and um, I can't imagine <laughs> any any evangelical pastor even uh, reading that out loud. <laughs> exactly it, right, and I thought, oh my gosh, 
it's right there. We we have everything we need right inside of us That's and right. it's buried. It's and so I I had this idea this vision of like the divine is hidden in plain sight. Yep. We're looking everywhere and it's right here within. So I started teaching uh, our church about this concept. And I said, if I'm doing my job right, I won't have a job. You won't need me. That's right. That, that's, that would actually be a gift. You won't need me. You will yeah. be able to find what you're looking for within. Um, but I was simultaneously on a process, right? So I think I was trying to give them permission to do the very thing I was doing. It's yeah. like, I'm doing it too. Let's do it together. And then it led me, you know, post COVID and a whole bunch of health issues. I really thought, I, I don't know where I fit in all of it. I don't know that I would ever want to be a pastor again. And yet I'm still really, really passionate about helping people find what makes them come alive, helping people find a, a spirituality that's true for them. Um, and, and not a one size fits all. It's not, none of us are, we're unique. And so how does our spirituality reflect what is true of our, our human experience? How does it make us grow? Um, and so that's kind of my current state. I, I don't even know the, you know, when people ask me, what do I believe or, or what do I call myself? I mean, I have a lot of beliefs and hopes and ideas, but I also have a lot of non-beliefs and yeah. things I'm things I'm willing to just let be yeah it's like I'm willing to be proven wrong because to me it's not about rightness it's more I feel like I'm on a path of healing physically and 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 emotionally so I'm yep. sort of like let myself be I want to be pleasantly surprised yeah I like that maybe we just if people ask you what, what are you I'm pleasantly surprised <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's 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 a good idea I like that term. Yeah. No, I usually just say, you know, Angie, who are you? Yeah, I'm Angie. I'm Angie. I yeah. don't know. I'm a person trying to figure this thing out just like the rest of you. Right. I think, and Sue, that is, that is such a, a great thing too, because um, I even tell people, even if you're still going through that first deconstruction phase, um, it's okay if someone asks you, what do you believe about this or that or the other, right? It's okay to say, I don't know. I'm still mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like you don't owe yes. anybody an answer. Um, so, so and there, there's a lot of freedom in that, I think, and being able to, to just say, you know, um, that you're less focused on those answers, having, having that concrete, tangible, I can prove this, uh, what I believe. Cause ultimately, like, I don't really have to prove to anybody where I'm at. Like it's, it's for me. This is where I am, yes. right? And you don't have to, I don't have to convince you that this is where I am. It is, it's just where mm -hmm. I am. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot of freedom in that, uh, in recognizing that. And, and I, I agree with you too on that whole thing about not having a word or a name or a label for, you know, what do we call ourselves or what is this and, and where is it going? Um, yeah, I'm just really comfortable, like you said, um, enjoying the joy and the freedom of discovering, you know, mm. every day what's next, you know, what's the next thing. Mm. Um, mm. So I'm curious what you would, where you're at with this. Like, I love when you were saying about Jesus, this, that was great. I, I, I'm really fascinated by that because I think that is an ultimate thing, right? Figuring out mm -hmm. what we do with Jesus and who is Jesus to us. Um, and so, so one of the things that kind of got me in trouble early on in my little second deconstruction process is when I was writing Solo Mysterium 
after I'd gone through all those six pillars and I was saying, what now? Um, I was re- realizing that, I mean, I really love and appreciate Jesus. Um, you know, he, that, that was sort mm-hmm. of like how I got into this whole spiritual thing was Jesus. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But then I started realizing that, that there was profound wisdom and spiritual truth and insight available um, in other voices, right? So not just mm-hmm. Jesus, but for me, mm-hmm. people like Socrates or Buddha or Black Elk or Brene Brown or Richard mm-hmm. Rohr or, you know, it, it just, um, mm-hmm. and it even doesn't have to be, even be a, a theologian or a mystic. It could be a, a songwriter. It could be an artist. It could be, you know, yes. someone. Yes. In other words, recognizing that there is this spark of the divine in everyone. Um, everyone is capable of of embodying it and expressing it in their own unique way. And again, I still love and appreciate Jesus, but I started sort of widening and expanding my focus to include all these other voices. And mm-hmm. that was its own kind of freedom, right? And mm-hmm. joy and discovery. So I'm curious, did you have something similar uh, as well where you started sort of like pulling out from Jesus and, and noticing other things, or is it still kind of centered on uh, Jesus in sort of the mythological sense? Yeah, no, that is a great, great question. Um, I distinctly remember one of the first books that I read during this time was a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, Living Buddha, Living Christ. Great book. Fantastic book. Yes, it is. And I honestly was feeling so burnt out from church as a pastor. And I don't get me wrong. I, there were parts of being a pastor that I loved. I loved the people. I loved giving sermons. I loved mm. pointing people in a way that was more hope. But I also hated a lot of things. <laughs> yes. I, it, it was exhausting. Yes, and it I, is. I quit. There's nothing like taking that kind of a role to... It, for me, it was like a giant mirror that held up a reflection of all of my failures and mistakes. Yeah, Here's mm. the ways in which I'm not a good leader. Here's the yeah. ways in which I'm exhausted and trying to do everything. And it was hard. But during this time, I felt like I almost couldn't run faster away from Jesus and from Christianity. I wanted to get away from it all. And so I, but yet it was all I knew. So to go too, too far into something else felt so foreign. I had no point of reference. I couldn't understand it. Sure. So Thich Nhat Hanh's book was just what I needed. It felt like balm for a, a wound. It did. It was like, thank you. You were someone that is not of my tradition. And yet you're talking about Jesus in such a sweet, insightful, respectful way. Mm-hmm. And you're honoring your tradition, you're honoring my tradition, and yet somehow I'm now starting to see Jesus from a different lens now that you're speaking about him. Mm -hmm. So that was deeply healing. That became a giant long love affair with Thich Nhat Hanh for me. And and really launched a lot of Buddhist practices in my own life where I thought, uh, mindfulness, where have you been all my life? This is amazing. So that was helpful. and then I, I think, honestly, a lot of the authors that I started to get into at that point were authors that were either more into mysticism yep. or poets, mm-hmm. you know, Rumi. We've talked about yes. this before. I love Rumi. But yeah. a, yes. But a lot of 
that framework started to help me open up a box that needed to be opened. I, I know I could tell I didn't want to be stuck in the theological, I need to have everything right box. Yes. My soul was craving an experience with God and not to be able to prove anything. Yes. And what I thought when you're talking about, you know, we were, many of us were raised to prove certain things. Mm -hmm. If you, if, if you come from a tradition that's fundamentalist, you need to be apologetic. You need to know, you need to have every single, uh, I dotted and T crossed. And I, I kept thinking, but I don't want a God that I can prove. Right. That is too, too small. Right. I don't want a God that I can prove. I want to actually be enveloped in wonder and awe. I, I, I want something larger than myself. Exactly. If I can prove it and pin it down to a few sentences on a piece of paper, that, that actually feels very lifeless to me. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I was craving an experience and I, a really rich one at that, um, which I did end up having through uh, a lot of my health issues, as mm. weird as that sound, it, it really spurred a lot of mystical experiences that I quite frankly did not anticipate. Wow. But I, I, so authors have always had a special place in my heart for helping crack the door a little bit to help, to help see a little bit, but so did nature. Yes. <laughs> so did, you know, so did nature, so did music. There was mm. so many things, conversations with friends that just, my heart was really wide open and raw and ready to receive something more true. And I mm -hmm. think at that point, almost everything became, again, the divine hidden in all things. It was like, yeah. okay, I see it. And I'm, I'm, I'm open to experiencing that at that time. Yeah, exactly. That's so beautiful. I, I think that's exactly right. I, I, I had a very similar experience, like recognizing, because when you move in this direction, it's like suddenly you realize that God really is higher and wider and longer and deeper. It, God, mm -hmm. Whatever God is, whatever the divine is, it cannot be contained by theology. By a, It can't be bound in mm -hmm. a book. It can't right. be expressed in one certain narrow perspective in theology or, or religion. Um, but instead, I mean, what I've done is be able to, to take a step back and see, I can see the divine in each of those expressions, right? I don't have to I don't have right. to swallow the whole thing. I can see, oh, wow, like right. the Sufis have a really beautiful, you know, way of expressing this aspect of the divine. And, you know, Buddhists mm -hmm. have this other interesting way of, of you know, in experiencing the divine and and all these different things. And, and like you said, too, poetry and music and nature and conversations with friends over coffee. And uh, there's just so many ways to see and experience the divine in the world we're living in. And th this this goes to something else that you said. Um, cause I mean, here's what's funny. Like you're a creative person, right? You, like you said, even before you were into this, you, you had found yourself, uh, behind the lectern at a progressive church as the lead pastor. <laughs> um, you know, you were a musician, you're a writer, you're a poet, you're a singer, you know, all, all these things. Um, I had some of that background as well. Um, mm -hmm. but what I, what I find, and I'm curious if you find this as well, what I'm finding is I'm moving in deeper into this. Uh, second deconstruction, whatever we call it thing. I'm what I'm feeling is that it, it means that I the more I move into this, the more I lean into this, that the way for me to show up in the world as myself now, um, it's more about showing up as a creative person than it is about showing up as a theologian. Mm. And I, and that's exciting to me because I feel like mm -hmm. I'm returning to an original identity. I've always mm. been a creative person, right? That. I was a little kid. I was writing stories and, 
you know, uh, coming up with little characters and writing things, you know, as a kid. And so, and doing music and things like that. And so I feel like I'm coming around now full circle to that original kind of identity of just being someone who's creative and you have to kind of be in touch with the divine to access some of those parts of yourself. Right. Um, that's really exciting to me. So I'm curious about you as a creative person, if that that's similar. Well, that's exciting. First of all, that's amazing. (laughs) I I love that. I love that because there's, there really is uh, a type of freedom and liberation that comes from accessing that part of you and getting in touch with maybe a part of you that you've lost touch with in that kind of way or depth for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Which I think can be the antidote to these seasons of life where maybe we've entered into a faith shift or we're going through a crisis or whatever have you. Sometimes the antidote is if you've been stuck in circular thinking or you've been stuck in questioning, if you've been stuck in the mind, I swear the thing that feels the opposite is really the best thing is, is to stop the mind then and say, yeah. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to paint. Yeah. I'm going to draw. I'm going to play some music. I'm yeah. going to do something that is the polar opposite and access a different part of my being. Mm-hmm. And I will probably find the wisdom there. But I'm not going to do it to find the wisdom. I'm going to do it to stop this this thinking pattern. Yeah. And I think that's really beautiful. Those those periods of my life, if we're talking about creativity, those have been some of the most life-giving parts of my life where Mm -hmm. they feel like the most true version of Angie. When I'm not having to be or show up as somebody, that's a big part of my personality and I recognize is how how I present myself to the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a really nice and beautiful sweetness that happens when I don't have to do or be or show up as anything. It's just me in this creative process. Yeah. And it feels very true, very vulnerable, uh, and, and very what you're talking about, very divine. It's very spiritual. Yeah. I don't know how to extrapolate my creativity from that spiritual part of me. Yeah. Even the times that I was younger and very angsty and frustrated and, and you know, did a lot of art because I was pissed off or who knows what I was feeling <laughs> as a teenager, even those parts still came from a very, like, true, raw part of me that was also still a prayer. I still felt like they were prayers to God. Mm-hmm. Like, this is my heart's cry and that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. And, yeah, I think creativity and and spirituality or they're, they're dance partners. It mm-hmm. is the most, it, it's one of the most intimate parts of our being and how we express ourselves creatively. It, it can be a myriad of things. And that that's also something that I talk about a lot is for those that don't feel creative. I'm like, you, you are a, a, a create an ongoing creation that's and right. you're creating doesn't have to be a painting. You're creating, uh, you know, whether it's a spreadsheet, even though I find those boring, that's yes. creative. Yes. It's problem solving. It's creating something out of nothing. Yeah. Uh, and where does that come from? And I think a lot of times that comes from a deeper, truer place inside us and a place that maybe we don't even understand, mm-hmm. um, which I could go down that bunny trail for a long time. Is is sort of like, are we, are these things predisposed is are are we built like a blueprint and a map? And this is and, and part of me really thinks that like we kind of have this map within us that was yeah. given to us at birth, and this is who you who you are. This is the yes. gift you bring to the world. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so how do we embody that? How do we remember? I think a large part of that is what you're talking about is remembering those parts. Yeah. So like the, the child parts, the parts that we've forgotten along the way, the, the artist Keith, the, mm. you know, singer songwriter version of a person, th- those, those playful, fun, light, curious parts of ourselves as, as children, mm-hmm. which really is sometimes what makes me wonder if, if, what Jesus, when we're reading the scripture of what it means to be like a child, like, is, is it really that? Right? Yeah. Finger painting, playing in the sandbox. Yeah. Just making up little songs, making up little stories, you know, playing dress up like, oh yeah, all of that is, uh, I think that original childlikeness that I think that Jesus is trying to call us into. Um, Mm. It's really important. Mm. Mm, which is, yeah. e- you know, really easy for some people. I see them access that really part, that part really well. Uh, then for some of us, I think we almost feel like we need to be super grown up and have it all mm. figured out. And mm. I vacillate between the two. I vacillate between feeling like I need to have it all figured out and have it all together. And then this part of me that's like, I, but I kind of just want to play. I just want to yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> Can I? Is that all right? And I'm learning. Yeah, yeah. That's actually the best. I'm the healthiest when I allow myself those margins. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you too um, about this, that I think each of us has sort of an inner child and inner inner creativity. Maybe we've lost it, you know, we've had it beaten out of us, or maybe it's, uh, it's maybe not the most dominant part of our personality, you know, maybe we are technical, mathematical, whatever. Uh, But like you said, even that can be uh, a creative expression. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think sometimes uh, the things that keep us from having permission, giving ourselves permission to access those parts of ourselves. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of things, but sometimes I think it could be, I've seen it myself and I've seen it some other people as well. Um, Like they would say, I'm not an artist because I'm not good. In other words, like I paint, I love, like, like, like they would admit, I love painting, right? It's fun for me to do it. I love doing it. But then they are immediately judging that based on like, well, you know, I don't compare to this other famous painter or something. There's, there's people better than me. Therefore I'm really not an artist or and that could be any, anything, poetry, songwriting, fiction, whatever you're, whatever it is, um, singing, dancing, stand up comedy, whatever you're doing. Um, you know, and so you kind of disqualify yourself because in your estimation, it's not good enough. Um, and that's one thing that I really appreciated. So there's a, I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again. Uh, there's a book called the creative act by Rick Rubin, which I feel like I, I, I feel like the, the universe made sure that I found this book. I was on, on a vacation. Uh, I think it was in November. No, I'm sorry. It was in October. My wife, Wendy and I had gone to Orange County, California to celebrate our anniversary. I visited a couple of bookstores as I always do. And I saw the first, I just saw the book stacked up and it was like $30, you know, like like, oh my gosh. I mean, it looked so interesting. I flipped through it. I was like, mm-hmm, this looks really mm-hmm. great. But I'm like, I can't spend $35 on this book. And then I ended up like the next day at a used bookstore and there it was for like $2. So, <laughs> so like, oh yes, I grabbed it. And I, the more I read it, it was, it was speaking to some of that stuff in me about like saying, you know, I'm not good enough or I can't do it or, mm-hmm. um, or that I need certain, he addresses all these wonderful, you know, sort of like, objections that we give ourselves about why we, why we can't do art or, uh, mm-hmm. 
those kinds of things. And, and it's such a wonderful book and it really helped me. There's a little, there's what, there's a section of the book where it's like a bullet list of excuses. And I circled about three of them because I was like, yeah, that's me. Okay. Yeah, that's me too. Yeah, I do that. Um, and it just kind of set me free to like, no, I'm just going to do this because I love it. I'm going to do it because yeah. I, I, it's, it's nourishing to my soul, you know, yes. that's why you do it. So I like, for example, I started doing this thing where every morning, um, well, most every morning. I try to do it every day. Uh, it's a daily poetry thing. I have a little Word doc. Mm. It's called Daily Poetry. I get up in the morning. I sit down on my computer. I open my computer. I open that Word doc. And I just try to write something uh, every day. And um, and I'm not trying to write something great every day. You know what I mean? Like some mm -hmm. days, if you could read it, some days are crap. That's okay. <laughs> the, the goal isn't to write something amazing. It's just to write something right? Yeah. To have something yeah. to kind of exercise that muscle, to give myself that place to kind of breathe and, and, and think this way and, and say what, what I feel, you know, in this poetic way. Now, some of them have been great. I think like, well, two or three of them are really good, but that's mm -hmm. not the point. The goal isn't to, and I'm not trying to write a poetry book. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to, to spend some time every day accessing that part and, and, and do the poetry. Yes. Um, and that's been so freeing and, and so beautiful. And so, Anyway, I recommend that book to people, but I also mm -hmm. want to just mm -hmm. pass along that that advice to anybody. Again, you don't have to be great at it. Yeah. You just have to be willing to do it and, and to do it, whatever it is you're doing, to do it because it is something that nourishes your soul. It's something that you really enjoy. Oh, absolutely. Because I think... I think if it doesn't, if, if it becomes something that is strictly about metrics, numbers, producing, yep. and about other people, it it will eventually become something that that steals your life force. It becomes something that robs you of your joy. It becomes yes. something you resent. And honestly, quite frankly, most people can eventually tell. The work you put out feel, you know, it feels yeah, it's forced. Yeah. It's forced. There's nothing better than seeing someone in their element. You see what they've put out into the world and you go, yeah, that, that thing. I don't mm. even know that I like that art, but I really love watching you in your element and you are on fire. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Keep exactly. going. Rick Rubin's book really, really did something to me as well. Yeah. Just, it, I, 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 every morning I would read it and think, cause something, you know, Rick is a, fa a fascinating guy. He is. He's really interesting. And he gets called guru a lot, which I crack up laughing because he doesn't want to be called a guru. No. And he jokes and says it's because of his beard. And <laughs> Yes, he like, kind of looks like a, yeah. He does. He does. But even if he took off his beard, the words he says are really profound. It's like you were tapped into something else, buddy. Oh, you, yeah. You really are. Because not everybody comes up with this rich and uh, th this rich, this full of depth Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're putting out words that are really inspiring in a way that most record execs do. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, he's a record exec. Yeah. That's what he is. He owns Def Jam. And you're like, how in the world are you working with all of these rap and hip hop artists? And, and yet you're dropping knowledge like you're Buddha. What? Yeah. This is impressive. But it does that, that I love. You're also, what you're talking about, uh, writing poetry every morning reminds me of the artist's way that that a very similar process yeah get up do your morning pages but there is something to be said about just getting into the flow of writing or creating whatever it is that you're creating just for creativity's sake that's right and i have to often 
fire the editor in my head. Yes. Often. That's a big and part of it. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. So I was curious I if, so. if that's something that you face too, because I, oh, yeah. and maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. Okay. You still do. That's refreshing <laughs> to hear. Cause I keep thinking I hit these seasons in life where I feel great. I'm in my stride. I don't really care if anybody reads it or if, if they do or they don't. Um, I'm just doing it cause I love it. And then sometimes yeah. this little voice just creeps back up in my head of that, that feels like it needs to be perfect. Feels like mm -hmm. I need to edit it. It starts to get concerned about who's reading it and the audience and how will it be perceived? Yeah. And I hate that voice. Yes. And I, I wish I could find a trick that <laughs> just silences it instantly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the trick. I mean, it's, I definitely have it. You know, I, I don't know how, how I've done it, but, but I guess what I've done is sort of convinced myself that, or what I've said to that little editor voice in my head is, um, not now, you know what I mean? Like, cause mm, when I'm good. in that creative phase and I'm writing, you know, Hey, sit down, shut up, leave the room. You know, I come back later. Uh, mm -hmm. I, that, that, that I have to protect that part of the process to just mm -hmm. blah, just put it out there. Right. It's not that's about, good. like I said, it's not about writing great stuff. It's just about writing. It's just about mm -hmm. putting it on the page. Um, and then, you know, later on after I finished it, well then, okay, then that guy, then the editor can come in and we can do a rewrite. I mean, now we can read it a little more critically and say, oh, you could have said that better. And okay, well, maybe don't say that here, you know, or, or you don't need that. Let's cut that part out. You know, so the editor definitely is in there um, and I give him a chance, you know, to, to take a crack at what I've done, but not while I'm doing it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's, yes. You're like, it's not your turn yet. Hang That's on. Right. <laughs> Let me keep working. Yeah, exactly. Which is the best. It is the best when you can just get into the flow. Uh, as I've been working on some of my projects lately, I've been trying to practice that exact thing. Mm -hmm. And I say practice because it is. There's times is. where I feel like I'm 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 in that stride, and then other times, um, it yeah, those voices pop in. And and so creativity is also really interesting because it can be something that is just for you, but you are bringing something. You're bringing nothing. You're, no, you're bringing something from nothing into this yeah. world. Yeah. And is it just for you or is it to, for people? And if it's for That's people, right. there can be this, especially when you do public work, this now it's not just yours. And so now you're releasing it into the world and it's your baby. Right. And how do people react to to that? And, and those are the voices that... Um, Th those are the voices that can be the most dangerous for me that I have to mute and silence or yeah. what I'm learning through therapy is love and go, yeah. okay, what do you, what do you really need and want by, by coming into this thought pattern? What is it you need and want? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a great point. Uh, yeah. It's a great point because I think I, I felt this, uh, I was never like a senior pastor at the different times I was on staff at churches. I was always like associate pastor or children's pastor or youth minister or music minister. Mm -hmm. I had all these other, but I was on staff and, mm -hmm. and now and again, they would let me preach from the pulpit. So I did, I did some preaching from the pulpit in that experience. Um, and so I, I experienced what you're talking about in that context a whole lot. And I think I do experience it a little bit as an author as well, um, where you, so you kind of get in that phase of listening, right? Maybe like, you know, getting ready to write a sermon or I'm getting ready to write a book or a blog post or something, right? So I kind of get in this space of sort of listening, okay, what's bubbling up? What's the most important thing? What's, what do I feel like I have to say, right? And so then you get something. Okay, yeah, I feel like I need to write about this or I need to speak about that, whatever. And then you, you, you craft that sermon or you craft that blog post, you craft that chapter of your book or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But I would say um, there is that little, I think people have to develop, if you're in that space, if you're doing that thing, you do have to develop some discernment to understand whether or not what you are sort of receiving and hearing and 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 putting down on to paper or into words to ask that question. I think it's so important to ask that question. Is this for everyone else or is it just mm-hmm. for me? Because I had that experience so many times and I've it's, it's like the log in the eye, right? I notice this <laughs> in other people much much easier than I notice it myself. I have been in I've been in church services where I hear the guy and he's just really passionate about this thing that he really wants all of us to get and I'm thinking, dude, that was for you. That this is really just for <laughs> yes. you. It's not for the rest yes. of us. And um, and so figuring out the difference. Now, sometimes it could be yes. both. Sometimes it's for me and it's also for other people. But right. there are, right. I think, you know, I think you're missing something for yourself if you miss the fact that, no, this is really just for you. Are you listening to it? Because you get in the mm-hmm. mode of, I'm going to tell you guys something, mm-hmm. but you haven't really internalized it yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. That's yep. an important thing. Absolutely. I, I often as a pastor would, would tell my wife that I felt like the sermon was doing more in me than maybe in others. In anybody else. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I actually think this is for me. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And I want to just real real quick back up and say, uh, back circle back around to the Rick Rubin book, the creative act. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, that book is anybody who's like, well, I'm not an artist. So that book wouldn't, do anything to me. I, I'm no, 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 no. You don't understand. This mm-hmm. book is, uh, it's a, it's a theology book. It's a psychology book. It's a philosophy mm-hmm. book. It's a book of, it's a sociology book. It's a book about human nature. It's, and it's a book about creativity. It's all of those things. Um, I mean, I sort of halfway jokingly have told people that it was like, it was like a second Bible. It was like, I, I was just reading it and it was, it was hitting me in all these different ways. And I mean, I, I had to read it with a pencil because I, I love underlining things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was like, I had a pencil with me the whole time I'm reading. And the half of this thing is like, I'd read something like, oh, you know, underline that right in the margin. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, so many powerful, beautiful, profound things. I feel like I should read it again because mm-hmm. uh, I've read it. Yeah. I've, I've gone through it, but I, I bet it would be good to go back and go back through it again. Maybe we could start so a little layers. book club. Hey, uh, that sounds great. We should. It would actually be really interesting to see what yeah. pops out and what what sticks with people because it it did for me it felt the same it it read almost like a sacred text yes i i just thought wow that sentence is so profound i kind of need to chew on that for a while yeah and it's funny that we're talking about this because i'm writing a uh five part podcast series on uh it's going to be titled the chaos chaos precedes creation mm. and to not get too far into the deep weeds on this it's this idea of in, and it'll tie it'll tie back to Rick okay. Rubin in a minute. But, um, it's this idea that in Greek mythology uh, they believe the Earth was a goddess Gaia, but before the creation of Gaia, there was actually the first primordial goddess Chaos, wow. and she was the goddess of the void or the nothingness, and she out of her sprung forth all possibility. Mm. And there's really, to me, beauty beauty in this story that these times that feel chaotic, that feel nothing, that feel empty, maybe it's a blank slate, maybe you just had a faith shift and you're starting over, that actually can be the springboard for the birth of all things. Yeah. And there's incredible wisdom there. 
And so in this, I'm, I'm kind of mapping out ideas about our own creation, but also certain parts that are maybe focused towards if you're a creative person working on a project. And I started putting some of Rick Rubin's content in here because he's just, it's, it's just so fitting. It is. And I loved that how he, he says about his book that he set out to, he set out to make his book to help people on how to make a great work of art. That was his whole goal yeah. is I'm writing this to show you, this is how you make great art. And yeah. he said, instead for him, it was revealed to, to him uh, that it was revealed to be a book about how to be. And yes. I thought, yes. And to speak, so to, I'm supporting what you're saying, Keith, that if you are a listener and you're like, I'm not that creative, are you a human being? Right. Yes. Because that's what he's talking about. It's, <laughs> it's a, a book on how to be. It yeah. was interesting. I loved it. I thought, yeah, you you might you might be my next guru, Rick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, like you said, like he would he would say, no, 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 I'm not your guru. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. see, that's my big thing. I, I, I that's my other huge thing is like I, I'm constantly telling people I'm not your guru. I feel like and this is circling back to something you said earlier. You know, like coming across that that verse in First John, which again, if you've never seen it before, it blows your mind, right? It's like yes. you don't need anyone to teach you, right? This you the the spirit of God is in you. You don't need anyone to be your teacher because you already understand these things, right? right. Um, and and I feel like, like as I've been, I, I just finished writing um, a commentary on the Gospel of Thomas, which will be out, I think, in April. Mm. And um, oh, that's and that was good. one of the things. Oh, I I love it so much. Um, and that's one of the really just profound things that I noticed in Thomas. Again, it's just a collection of sayings of Jesus from this Gospel of Thomas, and that's it's all it is. Just a bunch of Jesus said, Jesus said. Mm. Um, and and noticing this pattern in the ways that Jesus speaks, um, that Jesus was somebody also saying, I'm not your guru, which is shocking yes. to a lot of Christians, right? Yes. But like in Thomas, there's a place where Thomas actually says, calls Jesus master. And Jesus stops him and says, I'm not your master. Mm. Um, and then there's other places where Jesus talks about like, you know, the light or the divine is in you, right? And we, you need to wake up and recognize that. Um, and then that the biggest like head turner for me was, um, you know, about half the sayings in Thomas are from, you know, they're also found in like Ma Matthew and Luke. And then, uh, but the other half of the sayings are unique, right? So one of the sayings that's in Thomas, um, that's, uh, that's also in, you know, we've all heard it before. It's what Jesus says, you know, um, mm -hmm. if the blind lead the blind, they both end up in a ditch kind of a thing. Yes, but yes. the great thing about Thomas is there's no, there's no story. There's no kind. He's not saying this because somebody asked him this question or because he's having an argument with the Pharisees and then he drops this little nugget at the end of it. So, so when you don't have the story context, you just have the saying by itself, kind of, kind of like nestled in with all these other sayings that are also telling you that the divine is in you and the light is in you and you know, the truth is in you and you need to wake up and see those things. As I was going through Thomas, and I came to that part in Thomas where he says, if the blind lead the blind, they both end up in a ditch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I realized what Jesus was trying to get at in Thomas was to say, it's only the blind who need a guide, mm -hmm. right? It kind of goes, I think, hand in hand with the first John verse. It's like, so if you're blind, I guess you need someone to guide you around. You need a guru. You need a teacher because you're you, mm -hmm. you're blind. You don't see it. But the point that Jesus keeps saying is that you you can wake up, your eyes can be opened. He's trying to help us 
wake up and have our eyes open to see this truth. And then once we see it, we don't need a guru. We don't need a guide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is so beautiful and profound and so freeing, you know, I think again, cause so much of, uh, my evangelical background is, you know, we follow this teacher, this pastor, yes. this Bible yeah. teacher, this guru. And, and, and that's the danger, even in deconstruction. I, and I did the same thing, right. As you're going into deconstruction, like, oh, I love Rick, Ro- Richard Rohr. I love Brad Jerzak. I love Brian Zahn. I love Peter Enns. I love, and I do, I do appreciate all those guys. Um, but it's in recognizing like not to let it reach this level of this guru thing. In other words, like, mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. I can learn something from I- anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I appreciate all that I've learned from all of those voices, all those people. But the difference is when you kind of just make one person, like, I believe this because they said, yeah, um, absolutely. that's yeah. the danger. And I don't yeah. ever want anyone to do that with me. Like, yeah. I am not your guru, right? But I want to be someone <laughs> who can show you something and you can go, oh, I get it. And then yes. now you got it, right? And you don't need anybody else to teach you that. Well, absolutely. It, it, yes, I couldn't agree more because it's an it's an easy thing for people to do, to latch on to who is sharing the wisdom yes. and for them to be not just a guide anymore, but now you are, are sort of the thing that I am hanging my hat on saying, I'm yep. going to focus on on you now. And wherever you lead me is where I will go. Instead of you are a guide showing me, giving me some tools, and now I'm going to let my own soul and intuition and heart and spirit lead me. I'm going to let God lead me, the divine, however people understand that. It's it's like Sherpas. You know, a Sherpa helps you on a trek up a mountain. They are your guide because they know the terrain better than anybody else. And if you are visiting, let's say, Nepal and you're going up a mountain, you have no idea of that terrain. Okay, so you're going to need a guide. You need that Sherpa. You are, let's use your analogy, you are the blind man in this point. Yes. However, you're there to explore and experience the mountain, not the Sherpa. They yes. are there to point you to the the, the greater experience. Yes. They are not, they're part of your experience. Mm-hmm. And, and there's validity in that. They are absolutely sure. part of your experience. There's divine in them as well. And yet it doesn't end there. It's about yeah. the trek. It's about the mountain. It's about the valley. And we can hold on to it and then make a God out of them. That's right. And that's where the danger sets in because then we set people, this is something I did not understand until I became a pastor. When I, before I was a pastor, I actually held pastors so accountable in a sense, not that I worshiped them. I actually did the opposite. I had been so burned. I tended to think you're all a bunch of narcissists and shouldn't be doing this. That's right. (laughs) And how can't, why can't you get it together? What is your problem? I mean, I really feel like I had a high bar. And then I became a pastor and I thought, oh my God, they're human beings. Yes. They are human beings who are given a platform. And let's be honest, people want a guru. They do. They want a guru, whether they realize it or not. We all have this part in us that wants guidance and if you come from a background where that's the primary driver, you will resurrect a guru again and again and again. I don't care that's what right. it's in. 
That's you'll right. go from one thing to another, resurrecting it. And I thought, oh, I see exactly how some of these pastors got here. You start mm-hmm. throwing enough fame, money, praise, whatever the thing is. And before you know it, they're put in a position that they've never wanted to be in, I'm sure. That's I'm sure right. their original goal. Now, there's some that may be corrupt from the get-go, but I have a feeling the seed of their intention was probably originally good. I agree. So it's weird how I walked away from that experience having some grace on pastors. I never expected that to happen. Um, And I can see how people do uh, resurrect a guru again and again. And it's it's hard to say, it's okay to have guides. What happens if you find your own inner guru? That's right. Can you trust that voice? Do you know what that voice is? Do you even know how to hear it, feel it, search mm-hmm. for it? What happens then? Because I have a feeling that equates absolute liberation for your life. If you discover that you are the divine, mm-hmm. and that's shocking. People mm-hmm. fall off their chairs. They're like, wait, are you calling me God? Yeah, well, so yes and no. Right. Y- yes and no. If we think of God is everything. Aren't we part of God? So are we singularly God? No, we're a part of God, but we're also God in itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's, hard right. to exp- that's hard to explain. But I don't get why that's such a hard concept for Christians, because in all honesty, don't we believe as Christians, many people would say that we are children of God? Well, wouldn't that be the DNA of God? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So you are part of God. Doesn't yes. that make and in, in in a sense that makes you God? Part of your DNA is absolutely God, and I don't. So to me, it's, it becomes a radical because it's radical. I think it's radical because it means that people have their own ownership. They have their own inner authority. They can't be as yes. easily controlled or manipulated. There's right. freedom no, in it. That's exactly right. Yes, I think discovering that inner guru and it, you you touched on the thing. That I think that's the missing piece, or or it's the barrier for so many, especially evangelical Christians. Because we have, again, the programming we've received has told us, do not trust yourself. Don't listen mm-hmm. to that inner voice, right? That's mm-hmm. the, that's mm-hmm. the enemy, right? Um, and I think, man, if you're going to deconstruct something, deconstruct that, right? Get over yes. that. Like, trust that inner voice that, like you said, yes. uh, it, it, like a big, big uh, thing for me was recognizing, um, like when, you know, when Paul says uh, that God is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being, I was like, mm. Well, if that's true, then that means that I and we are the ones in whom God lives and moves Mm. and has Mm -hmm. being. That's right. And that's kind of like what you're saying, right? So if that's the case, then yes, I can trust that I, I, we need to reach a place where we can trust that we can hear that divine voice, that the God in whom we all live and move and have being and the, Mm -hmm. and the God who has life and being in us and, and, Mm -hmm. and, and that that symbiosis. And learning how to trust that. And then that's the, that's the secret to me of, of discovering that inner guru is like, okay, I can do this for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing, the other thing to carry over, I think that keeps a lot of evangelicals from moving in this direction is um, this sort of fundamental misunderstanding. It doesn't ever, I don't think it, sometimes it may be explicitly said, I think it's usually more implicitly assumed by the way things work. Mm-hmm. Um it's this idea that if someone teaches you something, right? So if someone's your pastor or a Bible teacher and they teach you something, that they mm-hmm. also have authority over you. Mm-hmm. And that's, by the way, that's not even a biblical concept. The Bible never teaches that. That's not, that isn't the case, but that's the culture. 
of evangelical Christianity. If this person is a teacher and they've taught you something, they also then have authority over your, you and your life. And that shouldn't be like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't equate those two things. You should be able to like have anybody. And that, that means literally anybody, anybody can say anything that you could learn. You could receive this divine message from that other person. Um, and go, wow, thank you. That was a gift. That was beautiful yeah. without suddenly handing over authority to that person. You know, yes. that, that's the danger. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Wisdom received does not have to equate authority given. Yes. <laughs> yes. Please separate it, those ideas. <laughs> yes. It's true. Because at the end of the day, you are speaking about something that is very resonant, mm. very, very resonant of many fundamentalist belief systems, is yep. this idea that your authority derives somewhere else, right. somewhere else but within. And from an early age, I bucked against that. It didn't feel right. And I went along with it. I wanted to be a good Christian. Sure. I wanted to be a, a good Christian, a good kid. I, I wanted to do those things, and yet it didn't feel right. I thought, but you're saying things that don't line up with my personal experience. Yeah. You're saying things that don't actually feel fundamentally true to me. Mm -hmm. And so then you have a decision in that moment to override that feeling, which is what happens many, many times. That's right. We go, well, this person... No, must know better. Yeah. Th this person, and, and this doesn't just apply to evangelical Christianity. This applies right. to anyone that has quote unquote authority on a subject yeah. matter. And you as a person are having a very different lived experience and, and you know a different kind of wisdom. That's right. And you can tend to, I think as people, we can tend to uh, offshore that that authority and say, well, they must know better. Right. You know, they do know a lot. Yeah. They might have authority on that topic, but so do you and trust the wisdom of your body. That's right. If your own heart, soul, body, and spirit say, oh, that, that doesn't resonate. Listen to that. That's right. You can trust, you absolutely can trust it. And I know better now after, I will tell you this, if a chronic illness has taught me anything, it's to absolutely trust the wisdom of my body. There you go. So I don't second guess it now. If I have a feeling about something and it resides in my chest and I can tell that it's stress and tension, if someone says something and I have an instant gut reaction, I trust it. I yep. say, okay, you're telling me something. I don't get it, but I'm going to listen to it. And even though it seems counterintuitive, I'm going with it and mm -hmm. no harm, no foul. But yeah. I think it's learning, learning how to trust your own intuition um, and some people, I think, don't know how to tune into intuition first. What is it? And I think that's right. a good place to start. But when you can, to trust it and to know that it doesn't matter if a guru tells you to jump off a, a cliff and everything in you is like, that doesn't, wait a minute. I don't yeah. think I'm supposed to jump off a cliff. Yeah, then, then don't. Listen yeah. to that. Listen mm -hmm. to that. But, you know, it, I think that is something that's like an onion being peeled, that a layer by layer that needs to be shed from fundamentalist upbringing. Mm -hmm. Because you, again, like I said, you will apply that to whatever system you're in. So let's say you're now in a yoga circle and yeah. all of you are practicing this. You will still probably tend to develop that kind of relationship with your yoga teacher. 
Mm -hmm. If you're now in a running group, you will tend to develop a certain, idolize a person. And and that's just sort of, again, peeling back of the onion and learning, okay, I can look to somebody for guidance. They can be the Sherpa, but they're not the mountain. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's great advice. I love that. Uh, This has been so great, Angie, and and the time has flown by. Uh, I I just love talking with you and we've had some, we've hit some really great things here. So, uh, but just to wrap it up, let people know, uh, where do they find you? Um, and uh, if they want to know more about you and kind of keep up with what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. Right now you can find me on Instagram at Angie Von Slaughter. You can also find my podcast and some of the work I'm putting out on bonesandstardust.com. I am working feverishly on a new book, so stay tuned for that. I have a title and all kinds of things, and I'm just excited. So stay tuned for that because I will most likely announce that on my website. You also can go to angievon.com, and that's angievon.com. That has more of like my spiritual direction, some upcoming events and different things Hmm. that I'm throwing out into the world. Awesome. Well, that's great. You know, I'll try to put all that in the show notes and stuff and make sure that gets shared along with this uh, episode. Angie, thank you so much. It's been wonderful uh, having a, another conversation with you this time recorded. And uh, I know there's a lot here for people to chew on. So hopefully they can follow up with you uh, or with me and if they want to continue thinking about these things. And again, thank you all for listening to Second Cup with Keith. Please, uh, you know, like, rate, share, share with a friend. It means a lot. Uh, and also mentioned as well that if you, if you enjoy this podcast, you'll love the book. There's a book, Second Cup with Keith, that's kind of following these conversations that we have on the podcast. You can pick that up on Amazon, uh, as well as my other books. And uh, we'll see you next time on Second Cup with Keith. Thanks so much.